How are we? Amen. It's good. Uh, if you're one of our pirate ship kids who are dismissed, there we go. Yeah, that was weak. We can try that again. All right, so we do this thing here. If you're a pirate ship kid, you're dismissed, and then we do the R's for the kids. Hopefully you understand this. Let's try it one more time. If you're a pirate ship kid, you are dismissed. There we go. That was, that was worthy, of a, worthy of a second try. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew will be in chapter 21. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can see our Connect table over there. That is a free gift to you. Uh, but we would love for you to have a copy of the Bible. And um, if today, again, is your first time with us, you're joining us on the second week of a brand new series that we've been in called The Greatest Week in History. And what we're doing in this series is going to take us through Easter Sunday as we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life. Now, if you've been in church any time, any amount of time in your life, I guarantee you that you've probably heard of, you're probably familiar with two specific events on the last week of Jesus' life. And the first one would be Palm Sunday, which is what we looked at last week. And if you missed that message, I would invite you to go and listen to that on our sermon uh, website. And then you probably know the last day of the week, which is Easter Sunday, which we celebrate as Resurrection Sunday. But what we probably often miss, and one of the, some of the things that we often miss about that last week, is what happens in the middle, what happens Monday through Saturday. And, and it's important for us to know this simply because some of the most important things that Jesus ever said, and some of the most important things that Jesus ever did, came in that block of time between those bookends of Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Because in in that block of time, Jesus is going to give us a brand new commandment that we still practice today. Jesus is going to say some things that he's never said before. Jesus is going to do some things that he's never done before. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning because Jesus is going to do something that he's never, ever done before that we've seen in all the scripture. You see, last week, Palm Sunday, we see Jesus and this arrival on Palm Sunday, moving into Jerusalem, heading towards the cross, and he has this posture of this king with humility. He's a king entered in on this donkey, but today Jesus is going to be a little bit more prophetic in his words towards his audience and towards the crowd there. And what I mean by prophetic is that Jesus is a challenger. Jesus is going to challenge the status quo of those that are around him. He's going to challenge the sort of things. Uh, and again, it's going to seem very uncharacteristic of Jesus. Because many of us, we probably have this perception of Jesus. We picture him in our minds that Jesus was just this nice guy. He always had the kids around him. Like he's passing out suckers and lollipops to all the children that he's very tender-hearted and in nature. He's got like the purple stash, hair's all pristine. Like some of us, that's the picture that we have of Jesus. Well, not in this chapter, not this time, because Jesus is going to do something he's never done before. Jesus is going to curse a tree. Jesus is going to curse a tree, and it withers up and dies. Now, I realize that in saying that, we've just lost the entire city of Seattle, that was a joke. You can laugh. You're not up to politics. It's okay. It's all good. 
But many people even take this one specific example and they turn it on Jesus and say, look, this is out of character. This is not who Jesus was. They use this as a, as a weapon against the nature and character of Jesus. I mean, how many of you actually have a green thumb? I try sometimes. Everything that I plant dies. That's why I have Miss Denise come and plant all my, all my things. If you have a green thumb, you're probably going to hate this, okay? You're probably going to hate this passage. Go with me to Matthew 21. Starting in verse 21, the words should be up on the screen. Um, Starting in verse 18, actually. It says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, meaning Jesus. Jesus became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Great question. And Jesus answered them, saying, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, as we open up your word, God, we believe that your word has power, Lord, not because it's some magic, not because of anything that I say or um, anything that I do, but simply because this is your word, Lord, written through men, inspired. This is the very word of God, and so we treat it as such, we hold it up high, God, we ask this morning that you would change our hearts. God, one of the ways that you often speak to us is one through your word, but also through other people. And so we pray that we would hear for you, hear from you this morning. God, for the person that's here this morning and that's very far from you, Lord, without hope, feeling desperate, feeling left out in the cold, Father, would you draw them in? this morning in the person of Jesus Christ through the Bible. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let me just start off this narrative for you. Let me recap this for you. Jesus has just entered, uh, he's just kind of um, returning to the city, returning to Jerusalem. This is on a Monday, and it says that Jesus gets hungry. Jesus gets hungry, and he's, he sees this tree, he passes by this fig tree, and it has nothing on it but leaves. Jesus sees the tree, walks towards the tree, has nothing on it but leaves, goes to get some food, because again, he's hungry, and there's no food there on the tree. There's no figs on the tree. And so Jesus does something what, that we might say is uncharacteristic, and Jesus curses the tree and says, may no fruit from ever uh, come up on you again. And so the tree withers and dies, and the Bible says that it withers down to its roots. Now again, if you hear this, you're asking yourself probably, why in the world would Jesus do something like this? Why in the world would Jesus take such liberties? Why would Jesus be so wasteful on this tree? Why in the world would he do that? Well, you see, Jesus is not being wasteful here, but Jesus is teaching a lesson. Jesus is teaching a lesson to his disciples, and he's using this tree 
as an object lesson. How many of you know what an object lesson is? You've got an object, you teach the lesson, there's some moral generally behind the story. I remember those from whenever I was a kid. And you see, here's the thing about this time, this place, this culture, is that fig season was a big deal. All right, it was a big deal. We don't really talk about figs anymore. Like, we don't, re- it's just not a part of our everyday language. It's just something that, you know, maybe somebody somewhere eats fig newts, whatever. I don't know. I don't deal with that. Um, but in this day and in this culture, it is a big deal. You see, figs were a delicacy. It was a delicacy, and whenever it was fig season, what that generally meant was it was good, produ- good produce, good eating, good money. Like it is, a, it is a lavish fruit, a lavish time of life. And so it was a happy season, and they're joyful whenever it's fig season. Well, here's the thing. Mark, the passage of Mark that we read in the next book over says that it's not even the season for figs. But it's not even the season for figs. So again, why would Jesus do this? You see, here's the thing. It just so happens that there's several different varieties of fig trees. There's several different varieties of fig trees. And I don't even know all the the different types of fig trees. But some would produce outside of fig season. And they would produce in a time when it wasn't casual, it wasn't normal to see figs pop up on trees. And whenever you would just stumble upon one of those trees that it wasn't, it wasn't really in fig season four, you would, pick, you would pick one off and those generally tasted the best. And the way that you knew the tree had fruit or not was by whether or not the tree had leaves. And so Jesus is looking at a distance. He's kind of entering back into the city of Jerusalem, sees this fig tree at a distance, sees that there's leaves on the tree, says, I'm hungry, there must be fruit on this tree, goes to the tree, and the tree has leaves, but no fruit. The tree has the appearance of having leaves on it. The tree has the appearance of having figs, but it does not. Again, the only way that you could tell if a tree had figs or had fruit was by whether or not it had leaves. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever been hungry? All right, good. Nobody. Nobody's ever been hungry. We live in America. Nobody's ever. How many of you ever like truly, like really been hungry? Like really hungry? All right, listen. We've all been in those moments where we're really hungry. Like we'll snap somebody's head off. Like, like hangry, you know, like we use that word, like I'm, I'm angry and I'm hungry at the same time. I'm hangry. My wife uses that all the time. She says, you need to calm down. You just are very, very hungry. I mean, like real hungry. I, I, I love a good steakhouse. I love a good steakhouse. I love American steakhouse. I love a Brazilian steakhouse. I love a Japanese steakhouse. I love all types of steak. Like you could just Get something from Lidl's, Bilo, Publix, whatever it is. I love a good steak. And one of my favorite things to do at a restaurant is to get a plate of leftovers, right? To get that plate of leftovers at a Japanese steakhouse is almost like you've got heaven on earth. You get a little bit of white sauce and bring it home with you, you know. I will tell you what. There is nothing worse than having a plate of steak and a plate of Japanese steak like in the fridge and you get hungry during the day and your mind goes there like, oh man, I just can't wait to get those leftovers. I can't wait to get those leftovers. I can't wait to finish off my steak. And you go to the fridge and somebody has taken the leftovers, like that's worth fighting over. Like that should be against the law. My wife has done it a couple times and I promise you, like I almost called the lawyer. 
True story. Like as a kid, we thought that we, I thought like we had to get smarter than I had two brothers growing up. And oh my gosh, I thought I was going to have to like kill one or two of them at the same time. But sometimes you would eat, you know, Sakura or something like that. A nice Japanese steakhouse. You got, the, you got it all, like in the fridge. I'm going to go eat the leftovers. And you get there and one of those guys has already taken one and I'm going to I'm going to destroy you right now. I'm going to destroy you. So we thought we would get better at it and like write our names on the plate. You know, like you say, you're going to start, all right, I got it this time. I'm going to write my name on the plate. Nobody's going to steal it. And they still do that. So finally, you just take the plate. You like do that breathe over like, (sighs) now take it. Now let's see if you take Like those moments of like being really hungry and finding out that what you want is not there. Like that's what Jesus just went through, okay? Like Jesus is disappointed at the fact that there's no fruit on this tree. Jesus is disappointed whenever he comes to this tree with leaves. He thinks he's about to get lunch. He thinks he's about to get this fruit. And I'm sure that Jesus was disappointed. It almost sounds a little bit like one of those Snicker commercials where the disciples would have like handed him a Snickers. Like, hey, Jesus, you're not you when you're hungry. Take a Snickers. You know, it sounds like that. But really, again, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is teaching us a lesson. And the lesson is simply this, that whenever you appear to have fruit, but you have no fruit at all, what you look like is a hypocrite. What it leads to, and the object lesson here is very simple, and it is a lesson of hypocrisy. And Jesus is looking at his disciples here, and he's saying, uh, he says, look, this, what appears to be is not true. Whenever we look at the tree, it's filled with leaves. That means it's got fruit on the tree. Go to it, and we find absolutely nothing And Jesus is teaching a lesson about hypocrisy. You see, Jesus curses the tree, not because he couldn't get lunch, but Jesus curses the tree because it was not producing fruit. There was no fruit on the tree. And I think this is important to point out because Jesus has just done something in this passage just a few moments before this in Matthew 21, looking in verse 12. Look with me in verse 12. If you got it, say, I'm there. You should be. It's the same page. (laughs) And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought, brought into the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read that out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. And this is the moment where Jesus curses the tree, because Jesus has just left the temple. The temple of God, where the people of God come together, where the people of God get together, and they pray together, and they listen to the Old Testament being read aloud, and they commune with God, and they make sacrifices before God. Jesus gets to the temple, and that's not what he sees, is it? Jesus doesn't see people coming together for prayer. Jesus doesn't see 
people coming together to make sacrifices in the church. Jesus doesn't see people drawing near to the Father. What Jesus sees is a racket. You see, people were standing literally outside the temple. And again, this was Passover season this week. Major festival in Jewish, Jewish holiday. Like the culmination, the big week, the, the Super Bowl week of the Jewish calendar. And they're all here in Jerusalem to visit the temple, to make sacrifice, to draw near to God. And it says that outside the temple walls, it's almost like there are people out there selling tickets for them to get in. To get inside the temple. They had to pay this tax to get inside the temple. And as you enter into the sanctuary, as you enter into the place where it's supposed to be holy, as it's supposed to be quiet, as it's supposed to be reverent, there's people out there selling all these animals for sacrifice. And you've got these people that are trying to draw near to God, yet you've got money changers that are there, and they're trying to sell pigeons, and they're trying to sell all these different animals. Get your sacrifices, get your sacrifices, get your sacrifices. It kind of reminds me a little bit about Disney World. How many of you ever been to Disney World? How many of you ever had a turkey leg from Disney World? How much did that turkey leg cost you? Like you got to sell stock to get a turkey leg at Disney World, right? But you see, everything at Disney World costs you about $20. Like a bottle of water costs about $6. A turkey leg costs you about $25. Like you can't retire because you have to get the turkey leg. But you see, what they do is it's this monopoly. All my analogies deal with food. It's this monopoly that they charge you whatever they want to charge you as you're in the park because they know if you want it bad enough, you'll pay whatever it is that you need to pay because they've got you, right? They, they jack the price way up on you, and that's exactly what's happening here inside the temple. You can't get close to God unless you sacrifice. Guess what? We've got all your animals right here that you need to sacrifice, and they would jack the price up sky high on these people. So that the people, they would make it really, really hard for people like you and me to come to God. And so Jesus sees all this and he's disgusted by it. Jesus sees what's happening inside the church and it turns him within his stomach like he's angry. And so he starts flipping over all the tables he starts yelling at all these money changers. He starts yelling at the people that are selling tickets outside the doors. Jesus is angry at this moment. You see, because this is the temple of God where the people of God are supposed to be. And what Jesus sees is a racket. What Jesus sees is nonsense. What Jesus sees is chaos. And again, the temple has the pretense of being something that it's not. You see, the temple looks from the outside like it is this beautiful thing filled with adornment. The temple looks good on the outside. The temple looks fresh. The temple looks like this incredible place where we can go and find God, where we can go and draw near to God. Yet as you enter in, again, it has the pretense of being something that's not. It's like the tree that's out, outside the city gates where Jesus sees this tree and it has the pretense of having fruit, yet it has absolutely nothing at all. You see, the Christian life is one that's met with all sorts of expectations. The Christian life, whenever you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whenever you say, you've got my yes on the table, and what you've said before Jesus and what you've said before everybody else is you've got it all. 
You've got it all. You've got all of me. I surrender everything to you. There's an expectation for us now to live in a certain way. There's an expectation for us to be on the inside exactly what people see on the outside. Now, I think it's important to talk about here this for, for just a second, okay? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus and if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, He's not really talking about you and, and me. Because Jesus curses this tree not because it's bearing little fruit, but because it's bearing no fruit at all. Jesus is talking specifically to the people who say, I worship God who say, I do all this for God, yet have never, never, never actually given their lives to Jesus. Jesus is talking about the people who, who, who might raise their hand in church, who may have taught a time or two, who might even like have the, the cross tattooed on their forearm or something like that, who might attend all the Christian camps, who may have been in church their entire life, who have every resemblance on the outside of being a follower, yet on the inside bear no fruit at all. This is who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about Christians. Sure, every single one of us, listen, that is a word for us too, that we need to bear fruit and we need to bear more fruit, lots of it. But that's not who Jesus is talking about. And I think it bears repeating that the fig tree was not cursed because it wasn't bearing plenty of fruit, because it wasn't bearing a lot of fruit. It was cursed because it wasn't bearing any fruit at all. And so again, this is Jesus talking about those people who are not close to God at all, yet bear every resemblance of being a follower of Jesus. And that's just how it is, right? That's exactly how it is. When we're not close to God, whenever we've never really talked to Him, when we've never really given our lives to Him, we have to manufacture something, right? We have to manufacture something. We have to do this follow this, make sure that I'm there for this, make sure that I'm always serving, make sure that I, I give this presentation that I'm close to God. But that's not real. It's not true. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's another way of saying this is, please leave. Please leave. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about those people that have all the actions, all the, all the physical things are there, but the heart has never truly been regenerated. There has never been a rebirth. There has never been something made new inside this person. Nothing has really changed. 
You see, in this passage, Jesus curses this tree, and it says that it withers down to the very root. If God's looking at your heart right now, if God's looking at the root of your heart, what does he see? Does he see this self-righteousness where you've got to muster and manufacture this right relationship with God? If he's looking at the inside, what does he see? Does he see you doing a lot of things for God without knowing God? What does God see whenever he looks at your heart? He goes on, Matthew 21, looking in verse 21. And he answered them and he said to them, truly, Truly, I say to you, again, talking to the disciples after he's cursed the fig tree, he says, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And Jesus is drawing this deep contrast He's drawing this deep contrast between the guys at the temple who are using everything for religious gain, who are using everything to be seen, who are using everything that they possibly can to to show this self-righteousness. And he's saying, look, if you're going to be my followers, if you're truly going to be a disciple of mine, here's what your life will look like. Your life will be one that is seasoned with prayer. That your life is going to be one that is seasoned with prayer faith, that you're going to pray incredible things and you're going to ask God for incredible things to happen, that you're not going to be stuck in this self-righteous mode for all of your days. He says, you're going to know my disciples by how they live. You're going to know my disciples by essentially here, and Paul's going to elaborate on this later on, you're going to know my disciples by the fruit that they bear So again, the question bears asking, do you see your life as one that is filled with prayer? Do you see your life as one that is continuously just drawing into God? I need you. Drawing into God. I'm coming after you. I'm drawing after you. God, fill me up. God, fill me up and send me up. God, I I need you. I've got to have more of you. Because if that's not you, and if that's, if that's kind of never been a part of your story, where you're drawing into the Father, where you're asking God of incredible things and, and drawing in on a consistent basis, I need you, I need, I've got to have more of you, then maybe you're just like the fig tree where you have lots of leaves, but nothing's truly changed on the inside. It says, you will know my people because my people will be a people of prayer who will ask great things. And again, he's talking about even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Now, is Jesus talking about that literally? Probably not. But Jesus is saying things like, he's saying that if you ask things through me, through my spirit, after you've been changed, you're going to see some incredible things take place in, in your life and in your world if you ask and if you draw near. And so the challenge is for us this morning. The challenge is very simple. One, do you have faith in this Jesus? Do you have a faith that has changed you? 
Do you have a faith that has made your life different where you're bearing fruit, where you're seeing things, where your life looks different today than it did whenever you first came into a relationship with God? And the second question bears bears a little bit of, uh, of asking too. Are you still relying on your relationship with Jesus Christ as your means for salvation? Because I think sometimes we get into the relationship with God and we start working towards perfection. Listen, this is not a talk about perfection. This is not Jesus asking you to be perfect. This is not me asking you to be perfect. This is not asking you to be one of those fig trees that has all tons of fruit. This is not asking you to to walk this perfect life. You will never be perfect. Husbands, nudge your wives. Wives, nudge your husbands. We will never be perfect this side of heaven. We'll never see that. But the good news is that Jesus was perfect. Let me say that again. I want you to lean in with me on this. You don't have to be perfect, but Jesus was perfect. And by having our faith and trust in Jesus, by beginning a relationship with him, God no longer sees us, but he sees Jesus. He sees us. And so if you're a believer this morning and this hits you hard, I want to remind you that There's nothing that you can manufacture. There's nothing that you can do. It's all about relying and resting in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is a gift. But don't let that stop you from drawing near. Don't let that stop you from pressing in. Don't let that stop you from pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. Because again, believers of Christ will be bearing fruit. And lots of it. Let's pray. Father, as we come here this morning, we we draw near to you. And I know about my life that at oftentimes, Lord, I've, just be honest, God, I've had to manufacture things. I've had to act like, like I have it all together. I have to act like I'm, close to you, in relationship with you, and in fellowship with you, and I know it, and you know it, that it wasn't true. Lord, there was a time in my life whenever I, I wasn't even a follower of you, and yet I was in church every Sunday, and I seemed like I had all the right answers, and in youth group. I was always the one that people turned to to have questions. But I wasn't really a follower of you. I hadn't really given my life to you. And so I had the pretense of being something that I wasn't. Everything on the outside looked good, but on the inside I was dead. Lord, I pray for anybody in here this morning that is just like that, that from the outside look like they have it all together, look like they have it all figured out. Maybe they've been in church for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but they know and you know, never truly changed, never truly had their life saved, never been reborn. We pray this morning that you would draw that person unto yourself. Lord, I pray for those that have given their lives to you and have followed you that are really far from you right now and they know it. Lord, what a shame it would be if they come this morning and 
get so close yet leave without being changed at all. That's why we do this. Draw them unto yourself this morning. We love you, Jesus. This morning we're going to have a time of um, just drawing near to the Lord. If you need to sit and pray right where you are, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. If you need somebody to pray with, I'm going to stand at the back and I'm going to ask my wife if she would stand in the back and I'll ask our campus outreach um, leaders if you guys would stand at the back too. And if you're here this morning and you just need anybody to pray with, um, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I think all the water is gone. Can't baptize you today, but we can start and be rebirthed, regenerated this morning. Just be obedient to whatever God calls you to today.